Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're in the last two weeks of our conversation from 1 John, little book, tail end of the New Testament, written, uh, as you probably know, um, just at the turn of the century, just as the, the first uh, century turned, uh, late 90s, early 100s, uh, the gospel, first John, actually the gospel of John, first, second, third John and the book of Revelation were all written within that 10 year period of time. And primarily to deal with issues that had begun to surface in the early church that uh, hadn't been dealt with or covered in the early documents, the letters that Paul wrote or the, 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 the first three, three of the Gospels. And particular to that, as you know, because we've talked about this uh, maybe more than you wanted to, is the bubbling up of competitive um, uh, philosophies that were starting to attach themselves to Christian faith and belief, specifically, uh, Gnosticism, in, in, at least in seed form. And again, snapshot, sorry for those of you who've heard this enough time to teach it yourself. But uh, the truth is that it is still prevalent in our culture today, the belief that we have to somehow separate materiality from spirituality. That this is good, this is evil. Uh, that this, whatever happens here is irrelevant. The spirituality that disconnects itself from actual life and practice is what we really want. As long as you're in tune, as long as you believe the right things, you're good to go. And John uh, wants to push back against that uh, kind of secret society that's built on gnosis, on knowledge, on secret knowledge that only the esoteric have, only the spiritually superior have. And he wants to push back against what is essentially a competitive spirituality a comparative spirituality that says, because I have the secret knowledge, because I, I have found a way to escape the materiality of the universe by possession of this knowledge, my spirituality is superior to yours. Uh, and you know, it's kind of the head pat moment, if you, you know what I mean, where, where there's this patronizing uh, sense of, of, of less than that then produces in these people who may not feel as sophisticated as those in the know, right? They may produce in them a sense that somehow they're less than. Their spirituality, their walk with God, because it's still so grounded to the dirt, isn't all that, that great. And so John wants to push back against what he really believes is a heresy. Because if you, if you tear apart uh, materiality from the Christian testimony, witness, you don't have Christianity anymore uh, it, because you lose the incarnation where God became flesh and dwelt among us. If the material is evil or wicked, which Gnosticism believed, then we don't need incarnation, much less than do we need resurrection, ha having escaped the confines of the body. Why in the world would we want to reconnect with a resurrected body? And John says, as soon as we do that, whatever it is you have left isn't Christianity anymore. We, we, we have to live in the hard, sometimes very challenging tension 
of the material world that is beautiful and beloved of God, the body that he has given us that is precious to him, that he wants to redeem and restore, and the spirituality that is anchored and rooted in, 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 in that kind of embodied existence. How do we, how do we validate that faith while saying to people, there is a way to grow up. There is a maturity that doesn't involve secret knowledge. In fact, you already know everything you need to know to grow up, to mature, to develop. Except that um, the, the, the pushback ends up being uh, the strate- uh, rooted in the strategy of how, how it is that we come to maturity, how it is that we, we, we grow and develop. Um, because there is such a thing as sin, and it will take you out. It will damage your soul, uh, some, almost to the place of irreparability. Uh, and so we need to move away from sin, self-destruction, self-destructive behaviors. But moving away from sin isn't good enough. We need to become righteous. You, f- you feel the tension, right? Getting back to zero is not the goal. Growing up to Christ's likeness. That's the goal. That's what we're, we're, we're after. So uh, this morning, I want to talk uh, from John chapter 5, the last two uh, sermons in this series, Summer of Love. John chapter 5 is really going to be dealing with the first two things. How, do, how does love work itself out uh, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a culture of competitive spirituality? And next week, uh, we'll, we'll deal with how we move away from sin and towards righteousness. So that's the one you probably want to avoid. Um, well, I mean, if, we don't always want to deal with our own sin, do we? We've negotiated a detente. Just me? We, 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 so, so next week, it's my way of dealing with the uh, fallout from Labor Day weekend. Just do the math. You'll, you'll figure it out. Okay. So, so, so here we are, 1 John chapter 5, and John immediately pushes hard. And I know that you've, you've heard uh, John before because he, he sounds like he's simply repeating himself, and in some ways he is. But at the same time, if you can stop, maybe shift your thinking just a tad, instead of thinking of John doing a circle around the same rock over and over again. Consider whether he might be uh, spiraling into greater depths of the mystery and the wonder of the love of God. Because I think that's what he's up to here. So he begins this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves the Father then loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God. It is by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Now, his commands are not burdensome. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, namely our faith. Who is it then that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we skip down uh, to the bottom of the paragraph where he says, God then has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God 
does not have life. So we'll begin back at the, the first uh, verse there, where John just begins with this statement that he believes he has established. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, uh, Jesus is the Christ, and is, is, is that person who believes that is born of God. So please notice, this is, this is, belief for John is not checking a box, and yes, that's what I believe. The truth is, James will say, every demon in hell believes everything about Jesus that you do. True. They know what is true about him. Apparently, John is not content if all we know is what they know. He wants us instead to believe into the reality that is defined by that belief. So, so there is a, 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 a reality that's defined, a, a supernatural, spiritual reality that is defined that he will later on call faith. And faith or belief is to stand in, to put your trust in, to put the weight of your life in and on that reality. To order that material spiritual existence for which you are ideally suited within the framework, within the rubric, within the laws that are framed by the belief, by the understanding that Jesus, the little boy from the carpenter shop, Mary and Joseph's son, that physical flesh and blood man who John says we, we touched we experienced his, his, his pathos, his pain. We, we watched him live his life. That man who actually walked, left a footprint, had fingerprints, that man believing that he is the Son of God. Now, that's the only way you will ever come to the conclusion that he is the Son of God. You will not get there by thinking your way to correct belief. You get there by standing in the reality and demonstrating the truthfulness of it as you walk and practice. It's one of those things that can't be explained. It's better felt than telt. Does that make sense? So, so, so it's not we sit in a room and we add things up and the calculus of our thinking produces belief. No, John says, no, that's not how this works. I need you to stand in the reality of Jesus as the Son of God, the Christ, the promised one. And as you do that, over and over and over again, will be confirmed the truthfulness of what you believe. Because as John says, quoting the words of Jesus, he is the way before he will become to you the truth. If you're waiting around for Jesus to become the truth so that you can decide to follow him, you're never going to get there. Follow in the way of Jesus, believe, stand in that reality, put the full weight of your life on him, and then flowing out of that behavioral practice will come an understanding and truth. And oh, by the way, at the other end of truth, following in the path from way, truth is life. That's how you get there. So John says, everybody who stands in that reality that Jesus Christ is the Christ, that, that physical person, somehow God became flesh, dwelt among us, don't understand how it all works. Truth, we will never understand how it all works. If you can understand it, it's not God. Really important, right? 
so, 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 so. We start to live before we know how to think, right? And so John says this, whoever, whoever does that, that one is, 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 is born of God. Now, and I love how he does this because John's just such a wonderful sense of humor. Now, isn't it logical to you that the one who loves the father, God, also loves the child of the father, Jesus? Now, why does he say that? He says that because at the tail end of the first century, as is current today in the 21st century, there are people who would rather deal with God in a generic, deistic sense than deal with Jesus, the particular person who has the right to make demands on their lives. If I can have a generic God, perhaps one I've created in my own image, that's much more preferable than a particular person whose life calls me into account. So I have regular conversations, and you, you, you may have similar conversations with people who practice other religions and so on and so forth. The truth is everybody wants a God of some kind. Not everybody, but for the most part, we, we want a God of some kind. So as long as we can have this, you know, this kind of pastel, nuanced, blow in the wind sense of God, we'll be fine. But as soon as that God has a baby that grows up to be a man and makes demands on no, 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 we, And John says, no, you can't have this without this. You can't have the, the generic pastel shaded God with no offense without coming to terms with his son. And so he calls us to this, and then he st stretches it out a little bit further because John recognizes that Jesus is not the only child of God. Not the only child of God. Because you see how he's starting to pull away from this sense of superior spirituality. John is saying, oh, if you love God which you recognize some of the Jewish background behind what he's writing. You will love his son, Jesus, and you will love all his other children too. Those who are in Jesus, those who have been adopted into the family as a result of the work of Jesus. If you love God, and he said this over and over again, how can we say we love God and hate our brother? You can't say that, at least not meaningfully. So here he pushes into this, but notice how he's twisted a little bit. This is how we know then that we love the children of God. Wait a minute. How do we know we love God? Well, we love the children of God. But now he reverses it. How do I know that I love the children of God? What's he after here? I think John is saying to us, there are ways of loving people that don't arise from the love of God. Does that make sense? There are ways of loving people that are really about manipulating them. There are ways of loving people that are really about controlling behaviors. There are ways of loving people that are really more about me feeling good about myself as a lover of people, selected people, than actually loving them as my father loves them. Do you see what he's after here? 
Because how many of you have a short list of people that you love? The long list. Maybe it's a long list because you're really mature and developed. And I mean, we have people that are easy to love, right? Easy to get along with. And, 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 and John says, look, no, 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 no. You don't. How do I know that I love the children of God? Well, he says this, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Does my love for you arise out of God's love for me, run through the filter of his love for you? In other words, am I joining in the chorus of God's love for you, or am I singing my own off-key song? Do you see? Because John will, quoting Jesus, remind us that our love for others is rooted in our love for God and our love for ourselves. Remember, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself well, sooner or later, your love for neighbor will be damaging to them. Anybody been damaged by people whose love for you is more about control and manipulation and managing outcomes and fixing you which finally ends up being a way that they have of loving themselves. It works in marriages, it works in friendships, it works in parenting, and it's equally destructive in any and all of the forms in which it shows up. So John says, look, how do I know that I authentically, genuinely, purely love you, my brothers, my sisters, the children of God? When my love for you is rooted in my obedience to the Father, when it flows as part of the great stream of God's love for you, it's not about controlling you, it's not about managing you, it's not about managing outcomes, I have no interest in becoming an expert in your sins. In fact, if you're interested, at least for me, that's one of the markers that I'm starting to get out of, off base. I'm starting to wobble a little bit. When I become more interested in managing your stuff, it's an indicator that I'm starting to fall apart at the center. Haven't you found that? Yeah. The, 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 the more I point, the more I hope nobody notices. Right? The more aware I can, and especially, especially in the shaming culture that we live in, that, that, that the public shaming that is Facebook, for example, in which we just kneecap our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we crush them, in, all in love, in love. No, no, no. I'm thinking, just me, but that's not the kind of love that flows from the Father. That's not how it works. That, does that mean everybody's right? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that if you're going to speak to it, you have to speak to it from God's love the way he does. Anybody else noticed that Jesus really actually does have the ability to make you straighten up and fly right and never does? Isn't that an, anybody else annoyed <laughs> by that? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just say, I don't want to have a will in this. I don't want to, I don't want to think. Just make me do the, the, the right thing. I'm tired of my self-destruction. I'm tired of blowing myself up. Just Fix it for crying out loud, right? 
Anybody? Yeah. So, so, and, and, he, and he, does, he just doesn't do that. He says, no, that's not the kind of relationship I have with you because to believe in the Son of God is not a mental thing. It's a relational thing. What? Let's go for a walk. Oh, you fell down again. I could prevent you from falling down, but then you would never learn to walk. Oh, this is about walking? Well, actually, it's about running. And then it, if you hang in there long enough, it'll be about flying. But you don't get there until you learn how to fall really well and get back up. See, so Jesus invites us to love our, our icky people. Anybody have a name flash into your head as soon as I said that? You know, an image, a picture, maybe a mugshot. Because we all have dandelions in the lawns of our lives, don't we? we? We all have people that just stubbornly show up. And especially in a church like the Garden, where we seem to attract those kinds of people. And, and if you don't know any of those kinds of people at the garden, there's a very good chance you're it. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just saying. Right? But we have, because we, we have these people that, 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 that are, are the messy people, that are challenging people, that make us just by their very appearance or the ways they behave, they just make us feel uncomfortable. And we are trained by the materiality of the world to create distance so that we maintain our cool, calm, collected OCD spirituality. And Jesus says, guys, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. It's not what I did with you. Right? It's not what I did with you. So I can't let you get away with doing that with everybody else. So how do I know I love you? When my love for you flows out of the Father's love for you. When it's unconditioned the way his love for you is. I got a week or two to work on this one. But it's where we're going. It's where we're going. So he says, this is how we know. Then he goes on and makes this next statement and says, the fact is, this is love for God, then, to keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. Anybody want to say, John, really? Really? Well, John knows something. He's tried other ways. Remember what his nickname was? He was one of the sons of thunder. That's this John. He was one of the guys, I love him, that when a village in Samaria rejected hospitality to Jesus and the disciples, John and his brother James were ready to invoke the nuclear option. Let's call down fire. Let's call down brimstone. Let's get them. And Jesus is very clear. This isn't how we do stuff in my kingdom. That's how you do stuff in your kingdom. Dear God, help us. We don't want your kingdom to come. Right? But so John is, John is inviting us here. He says, All, his commands are not burdensome. Have you got a better way to live that produces the outcome that you say you want? That you say you want. Because what John has discovered 
is that love actually has the capacity to save the world and nothing else does. Remember, we have a God who is the most powerful being in the universe who saved the world not by power but by weakness. Not by forcing everybody to conform behavior but by coming underneath us in our most despicable behaviors, embracing us there and teaching us how to stand having fallen numerous times. And he invites us into that same universe-saving tactic. He invites us into that. And he says to us at the end of the day, you don't have, and, and frankly, I'd rather have 650 ways sometimes, don't you? Because then I know precisely I'd, I'd rather have 650 rules. Let me finish the sentence. I'd rather, have, I, I'd rather have a high level of precision on what to do and what not to do. Because that's how I operate. That's how my mind w w works through things. If I know, if I know exactly how the things are, if I know precisely what to do and what not to do, then I can, then I can actually choose whether to do it or not. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't understand. My kingdom is not defined by rules at the edge. My kingdom is defined by love from the center. So if you're going to be part of my kingdom, if you want my kingdom to come in Long Beach as it is in the heavens, you need to get really, really good, not at making rules at the edge for people, but really, really good at living out from the center of love. And when you do that, you'll discover that it's way easier to remember two things than 650 things. Are you unclear on how to behave? Let's run through it again. What would love do? You uncertain about that? Well, let me ask it this. How has God in Christ treated you? One of the questions that I ask as we work through pre-marriage counseling with, 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 with couples, and it's a line that I've incorporated in the wedding ceremonies now. As a result of what God has taught us in the sacrifice of Jesus for the church, you will never again, husband, you will never again, wife, Wonder about how to treat your husband or wife. All you got to do is look and see how God in Christ has treated you and act in the same way towards this one you are choosing to love. So th th this is John's language. This, this compared to every other way of getting things done, compared to every other way of managing outcomes, this actually is the least difficult, the least burdensome way. This is, in fact, the easy yoke that Jesus invites us to. It is how, he says, we overcome the world. This is the one. It's not burdensome. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, please notice how John is playing here. The, 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 the Gnostics want to overcome the world by superior spirituality. John is aware that there are things in the world that need to be overcome, that if we're not careful, we'll be torn apart by the dueling loyalties between spirit and material. This is, Jesus said this, right? Uh, don't, don't be anxious, don't worry. You can, and the primary way by which Jesus recommends we not worry is not try and choose between competing priorities, but just have one. Seek God, his kingdom, his righteousness. And all of this other stuff, 
on the material world. We'll be taken care of. So, so John's strategy follows the same thing, right? How do we overcome the world? How do we overcome and break the gravitational pull that is part of being an embodied person that has desires that can quickly morph into lust? How do I manage that? And John says, well, here, let's, let's be clear on something. That victory has already been accomplished. You have already overcome the world. Right. By standing in the reality of the victory of the cross. You are, you're, you're already there. Now, in the meantime, there's still there's still some mapping, mopping up operations to do. Right. When the allies landed on the beaches of Normandy in, 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 in the Second World War, the war was all but over. There was still a lot of work to be done. Clearly, a lot of casualties a lot of pain and misery, but nonetheless, the tide had turned even more so when the armistice was signed. The war was officially over. It had been won, but there were still some operational uh, things that needed to be taken care of. That's the, that's the image that he gives us here. So how do you move away from those self-destructive behaviors that are anchored to the world? And John says, this is how, this is how. This victory that has overcome the world is what? Our faith. So when we stand in that reality, we have overcome the world. Now we are able to learn into a proper way of living. So that, so that we, we, we become less concerned about what people are doing out there and more concerned about living love from the center because we know if there's anything to be fixed out there, it will only happen when we live deeply and well from in here. That's the only way it's going to happen. And, and the truth is, you can't be in church for any longer than about 10 or 15 minutes before somebody offends you. Why? Because there's people like you here. <laughs> right? There, there's, there's people who are going to do dumb things. There are people who are going to say dumb things who are actually going to mean the dumb things that they say. How in the world does he expect us to get along? That's actually why he gives us those dumb people. Because you're the dumb people to somebody else. Right? And the task is what? To keep moving us away from this hyper-control that isn't actually rooted in love at all, right? So as we, as we think through this, and, and this, is, this, is, this is his strategy, those that we continue to see as our enemies, we haven't yet begun to see with the eyes of a father who doesn't recognize enemies as enemies. This is why Jesus says at the end of the day, just so you know where this is going, I want you to become the kinds of people who can naturally and without thinking about it, love your enemies. Just so you know, that's where this is going. And John says, compared to every other way of redeeming, reforming, saving, helping our enemies, this way is not burdensome. This actually works. This gets the job done in a way that nothing else does. This is how we overcome the world system that we have bought into. In fact, I'll let you in on something. This is the secret from my superior spirituality. 
the more mature you become, the more you love. I know that sounds so simple, but it is mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing to me. So much so that it has become a metric for me. When I sit in a meeting and somebody annoys me, right? When I'm, when I'm, when I'm in conversation, when I'm at a cro- across the coffee table, when I'm where, wherever it is, and I'm finding somebody annoying me, they're ticking me off, they're speaking when, when I haven't finished talking. I realize what's actually going on there is the Father inviting me to love people as he loves them. And the more that I love, it's not, it's not that we, it's not that we're, I'm, I'm, it, yeah, it's still rude and stuff like that, it's okay. I just am not the police of that person. I'm just not the boss of them, right? Here's another secret. The more you love, the more boring sin becomes. This past week has been a horrific season for men and women who believe, well, mostly men, who believe that their data was uncompromisable. And now their names have been leaked as ones who have sought an anonymous affair. You're familiar with the story, undoubtedly, or some of you are. And I, 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 I just realized something. Jude and I have been married for, for 38 years now. And I need to tell you, committing adultery is not even on the radar for me. And it's not because I'm afraid somebody will find out. It's because I love Judy. When I'm married to the most beautiful woman in the universe, what in the world? No, don't do that. (laughs) What's wrong with you people? Because the truth of it is, right? There's an attraction, there's a draw. It's not simply fear. It's, that's boring compared to who I have. Now, she's not perfect. I can say that because she's not in this service. (laughs) But love doesn't care that she's not perfect. Her lack of perfection, just like my lack of perfection, gives us each an opportunity to love the other as God has loved us. Because if he waited until we were perfect, he'd be waiting a long time. Right? So this is what he invites. How do you intend to overcome the world? Can you think of a better way to overcome the world than through the power of redemptive, relentlessly redemptive love that continues to believe the best, that continues to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, that continues to be patient, that continues to not boast, to not be proud, to not keep a record of wrong suffered, to not be quickly angered? Can you think of a better way that the kingdom comes on earth? than this strategy which our father has adopted for himself. 
So Jesus invites us into this, and John is clear, this is how the world is overcome. And then he says, finally, God has given us eternal life. Please notice, has given us. Even while we're still living on this material world, guess what each and every one of us who stand in the reality of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, guess what we already have? We have the life of the age to come. It's already at work in us. In some ways you sense it, in some ways you don't, right? We lean into it. It's one of the reasons why we pray. We're, heaven is not some place that we're going. Heaven is some place that's already invading. It's crashing in to the material world in which we live. You, you become an ambassador. You become an outlet. You become a window in your neighborhood, in your classroom, and in the courtroom, in the doctor's office, wherever it is that you find your occupation, you become a, 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 a means by which the kingdom, the eternal life, the life of the age to come, begins to seed itself into the fabric of the, of the relationships you have. And he says, whoever has the son has life because this life is in his son. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. What does this mean? It means exactly what it says. Sooner or later, you're going to have to come to terms with Jesus. Notice how we circle back around where we started at the beginning. Sooner or later, you're going to have to come to terms with Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Our critics are exactly right. Christianity is exclusive. What you believe about Jesus actually really matters. Now, here's the good news. Because Jesus is the truth, he's not anxious about you searching for the truth. So you may come home by another way. You may find yourself wandering around through various other religions or various other or other pursuits and philosophies in pursuit of the truth. And Jesus will be walking with you saying, keep pressing into the truth because he knows sooner or later, if you keep in pursuit of the truth and don't quit till you get there, you will discover yourself at the feet of Jesus. He is the truth that you are seeking. He is. He really is. He really is. And so he invites us to the journey, but also... If you don't want to take all that time, <laughs> it's okay to come home now. And what does that mean? Because here's, here's, here's the hard part. I'm going to finish up with this. Jesus is not interested in being a milepost on your life. Every time you come in contact with him, he will be a crossroads. He will invite you to decision. Does, have you experienced that? When, when you're walking with him, sometimes it is a walk of comfort, a walk of encouragement, a walk of keeping this way, right? But sooner or later, I find, when I find myself paying attention to the gravitational pull of materiality instead of negotiating the tensions by which spirituality and materiality maintain health and balance, right? When I find myself looking at Jesus' crossroads, choose today who you're going to serve. Choose today who you're going to serve. 
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.